0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective, presented by Stiefel. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Corporate Communications, joined, as always, by Brian Gardner, our Chief Washington Policy Strategist. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well, Neil. Good morning. Good morning. Um, lots to talk about, Brian, even though it's, um, it's summer is traditionally a little slow in Washington. There does seem to be a bunch of stuff heating up, and a lot of it does center around China. So I thought maybe we would start there um, if that's okay. Absolutely. You know, there was a lot of talk this week. I think people had sort of forgotten a little bit about um, this piece of uh, legislation working its way through Congress on uh, economic competition with China. But there was some talk that Intel could potentially hold off construction on this new semiconductor plant they are planning in Ohio. Um, because of uncertainty over this bill and whether it gets passed. Maybe you can give us an update on where things are with this piece of legislation.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, we we are in a bit of a holding pattern because it is the summer and there have been other issues uh, occupying uh, Washington's attention. Uh, The January 6th hearings, uh, the the Supreme Court cases that came out last week. Um, But behind the scenes is this China Bill, China Competition Bill. Um, the House passed its version um, back a couple months ago. The Senate passed its version a year ago, and so negotiations have been ongoing to reconcile uh, the two the two versions. Um, I would say they're going. The negotiations have been continuing at a uh, at a deliberate pace. Um, In golf terms, when we say somebody is playing deliberately, it's a nice way of saying they're playing slowly. Um, So deliberate. Um, But there could be a bill ready by late July. Uh, Republicans continue to be wary of passing this China bill. They're wary that uh, that this kind of opens the door or or makes it easier for Democrats to to pass bill back better. 2.0. 2.0. Um, at least they wouldn't want to. They wouldn't want to join in, and their bipartisan feelings would probably dissipate if Build Back Better 2.0 uh, went ahead. So that, that that that's another factor that's kind of slowing down these negotiations. Uh, Republicans um, are just in you know, a kind of a wait and see mode about um, what happens next.
0: Yeah, it seems like maybe um, they're moving a little too slow for some people. I know the Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, has been on a little bit of a PR push trying to get Congress to move on this. She's sort of set this artificial deadline of Labor Day, saying if we don't have an agreement by Labor Day, American chip manufacturers could be looking to expand outside of this country. Um, are, Are there any pieces of the bill where you feel like there
1: are agreements in place? So I I, I do think some of the differences have been narrowing. Um, And so I I, I think there is general agreement um, on the subsidies for domestic um, chip manufacturers. Um, There also have to be some language in the bill um, restricting their ability to build or expand outside the United States because you're not going to subsidize such a company uh, for domestic capacity, which then frees up capital for them to do expansions elsewhere. Um, and the bill probably wouldn't treat all markets the same. Clearly this is targeting China competition with China. So there'd be a lot of restrictions on their ability to, uh, to expand, uh, in China. Um, would the bill, um, put limits restrictions on the ability to expand manufacturing and other markets i think that's something that's that's still being uh worked out Um, so yeah i i think there's generally um uh some agreement on the parameters but they you know some of the details still need to be worked out yeah i mean obviously
0: some of the administration folks are also pulling the national security card saying that this is a national security issue etc you know brian i think you touched in that last answer a little bit about Outbound investments in China, um, and and what the bill, you know, how the bill would treat outbound investments. Anything new there? So I
1: think that process is getting scaled back. Um, For for listeners who are unaware of this, there's a there's a system in the United in the United States called CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, and that vets. Uh, foreign investments coming into the United States for national security considerations. Um, uh, one of the bills of the China bill um, uh, had a reverse system that there'd be a Scythius-like setup to vet outbound uh, uh, investments in China. Um, that's being scaled back a little bit. It's probably going to look more like a notification system, not an application system. So you don't need the government's permission to go do it. Um, but of course, kind of linked to what I was just saying on restrictions uh, uh, for any company that's receiving a subsidy uh, under the bill, um, there'd probably be some more bells and whistles uh, on their outbound investments. Yeah. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about things that might be in it and
0: might get added to such a bill, but I'm assuming as in most Pieces of legislation in Congress, there might be things that get dropped or that are part of the bill when it first started and don't end up in there
1: in the end. Anything like that that we should know about? So, yeah, these these large bills are often attractive to um, to lots of lawmakers because they see it as a vehicle to attach their pet project that, in normal circumstances, doesn't have really much of a shot of moving forward. And one of those, one of those. In many cases, they're unrelated, too. Absolutely. Um, And and because not to get too wonky into legislative procedures, the Senate has very loose rules, maybe no rules on germaneness. You can add something to a Senate bill that's totally non-germane. The House is different, but senators look to attach this stuff. Anyway, um, the House kind of ignored its uh, germaneness uh, rules when it added something called the Safe Banking Act, which would allow... Ensure uh, depository institutions to provide financial services to cannabis uh, companies and cannabis related industries in states where the substance has been legalized. It's still not legal at the federal level. So you get into some f- um, federal anti money laundering um, problems. Um, so SAFE was in the House bill. That's been dropped. Um, now I, I think that the backers of SAFE will make another run at inserting it in the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, um, they tried that last year, it was dropped from the NDAA at the last minute, but I think they'll make another run at NDAA this year, which is probably a late 2022 event, kind of post-election lame duck. Um, but again, I, I, I still think it's a, a bit of a long shot to include SAFE in the NDAA. So I, I, I expect that's going to be dropped once again. Got it. Um, anything else holding up the bill, you think? Um, some of the tariff issues. Um, you know, Congress has been working through some language on China tariffs, uh, tariffs generally. Um, uh, so going back to the 2018 Trump tariffs on uh, Chinese goods, um, there was a series of exclusions to those tariffs. And those exclusions have expired. And so there's been a lot of back and forth about whether the exclusions uh, should be reestablished um, going forward. And that that gets into the the whole issue of what's going to happen to the tariffs generally, which is not in this bill. But there is discussion about if tariffs do, uh, Chinese tariffs do um, get extended, that the exclusions uh, would be reestablished. And there's, there's a lot of uh, horse trading going on regarding that yeah you know speaking of the tariffs we've talked a lot
0: in recent uh episodes about the limited tools that the president has to bring down prices and to fight inflation the china tariffs are one thing that still he has not pulled that lever um i know that you know former treasury secretary larry summers was on the sunday morning shows um in the last week or so basically saying that that could be something that the president should do to bring down prices, um, what what are you hearing on that? Do you, do you think that the tariffs will be extended or do you think they will be repealed? Because the president really does need to be
1: pushing these buttons on inflation. Probably going to be a mix, Neil. Um, I, I think some will be extended, some won't be. Um, is my is my best guess. Um, so there are different factions within the administration on the tariff issue. You have the China hawks, which um, Uh, best represented by the U.S. trade representative, um, uh, Ambassador Tai, um, who is um, constantly in negotiations with China on a host of of trade issues. And she wants the tariffs to remain in place because it gives her leverage in her negotiations. Um, And there are a number of uh, China hawks within Democratic circles up on Capitol Hill. Majority leader Chuck Schumer. Um, I would put in that camp. I would think he would definitely want to keep the, uh, the 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 China tariffs in place, especially going into the midterm elections. Then there, then there's the um, the the inflation wing, the anti-inflation wing, the economist wing, um, represented by Secretary of the Treasury Yellen, uh, who believes that the tariffs add to inflation, and she would like to reduce, repeal, restrict them to provide some relief on inflation. So both sides um, and and other factions have made their pitches to the president. It's kind of in, the ball's in his camp now, in his his court, I should say. Um, So it's up to him to decide uh, what's next? I doubt he's going to end all the tariffs because I think politically it's a it's a very tough thing to do for the some of the reasons I just alluded to. So, I think he probably looks for a way to ease tariffs on consumer goods on the end product um, that's being imported into the United States. Um, those are the uh, and I'm thinking of of items that go directly to the consumer that's where you probably the consumer would see the most benefit from a reduction in tariffs um other tariffs um on in, um on inputs for other goods um and maybe on other items that are um less inflation sensitive um i could see those staying in place so i, I think he's going to try and have it both ways i think he's going to try and satisfy both camps um but um, the inflation picture is tough for him. Um, the, the, uh, the foreign policy aspect, the looking tough on China is tough for him. He's not in, a, uh, he's not in an enviable position when it comes to, to making a decision on, on the, the future of the tariffs. Yeah, and even on the inflation front, I mean, I've seen some
0: estimates. We're not talking like these tariffs are going to all of a sudden be a magic bullet and inflation goes away. I mean, I've seen estimates that the tariffs could shave, you know, maybe... Somewhere between a quarter of a percentage point and one percentage point off of an annual inflation number. I mean, I guess any little bit counts, but it's not. It's not going to be a huge dent, is I guess the point.
1: Yeah, the I think the most optimistic survey that I saw came out of the Peterson Institute for International Economics and uh, um, U.S. Trade Representative um, uh, Ty really criticized uh, that survey, um, saying basically uh and i'm paraphrasing but an academic exercise at best um just uh, uh fantasy land at worst mm-hmm. um so but but you know it, it goes to the point neil that you and i have discussed on this on the oil uh, uh topic gas prices that just aren't a lot of levers yeah um that can be used to ease the inflation situation it's a fed problem it's a supply problem uh, chain problem. It's a longer supply problem, especially on the energy side. Those are issues that the White. Those are those are policy options the White House has decided not to use. And and quite frankly, even if they did use them, they're not going to provide uh, imminent relief to consumers. It's, it's an optic. It's it's optic. Absolutely. Yep. It's all messaging. Um. You know, Brian, we we're, we
0: probably have time for one more quick one. I mean, we do. You know, each week we talk a little bit about the midterms. Um, there was some interesting you and I talked about it. There was some interesting reporting done by Associated Press on sort of registration trends over the past year or so. Any any updates on the election that you think are worth mentioning?
1: Yeah. So, you know, as, as you and I are talking, it's uh, Tuesday, the, the 28th. And there are some more primaries ongoing, um, including in Colorado today um, for an interesting seat, um, for the Senate seat that's held by Democratic Senator Michael Bennett, and you know, at the beginning of the cycle, I think most people would say Bennett's probably pretty safe. If the if the environment turns against Democrats, maybe Bennett could be at risk. Um, it's th- that race, depending on who Republicans nominate, could be getting onto the radar. Um, there's a there's a more moderate candidate in the uh, seeking the Republican nomination. Um, he's been leading in the polls, but. Uh, Democrats have gone out and spent a fair amount of money to bolster his opponent, who would be less electable in the general election. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of playing with fire. Um, it's it's a risky strategy if it backfires. Um, but certainly, if, if the if the moderate candidate wins, um, uh, the you know, but the given the national mood um, and given these. Um, these trends in voter registration. Um, it was interesting just be, uh, I mentioned Colorado because one of the voters that was interviewed in The Associated Press article is from a suburban town in Colorado outside of Denver. and um, basically saying, you know, on a, on a lot of cultural issues that Democrats have moved too far left for kind of typical suburban voters that had bolstered Democrats in the last couple of cycles. Yep. they become more concerned about that. And that puts the races like Colorado that should be a, a safe Democratic seat, it, it puts it potentially in play um, and uh, gives Republicans another option, another pathway to a Senate majority. Yeah, that was, I think, a key takeaway from a
0: lot of that AP, the AP reporting is what, what's happening in a lot of these um, in these suburbs. Um, And how the and how that is particularly troubling for Democrats.
1: Well, you combine that with the inflation situation, the economic situation. Um, You also combine that with uh, the trends among Hispanic voters, um, which I I think this the AP um, report probably captures um, some of that. But uh, there's a big move away from uh, from Democrats uh, by Hispanic voters that are going to create some real problems. And look, Colorado and Nevada, uh, with with larger Hispanic, especially Nevada, with with a large Hispanic population, Um, the uh, the demographic picture that looked so promising for Democrats in 2008 when Barack Obama was elected. doesn't look as rosy as it did back then. Things have changed a lot in the last decade plus. Well, twenty twenty four will be here soon. <laughs> It'll Thank God, a, I can't talk. wait. Let let's let's get going. I'm ready.
0: Exactly. All right. Well, Brian, thanks thanks so much as always, um, and thanks to everyone for listening. Don't forget subscribe and download Potomac Perspective from your favorite podcast podcast platform, and we will see everybody next time. Right. Thank you, Neil. Thanks, Brian.